Hey guys, and welcome back to Teaching Grounds. I am your host, Curtis Merritt, and today we are going to talk about antibiotics. Probably not anybody's favorite topic, unless you're going into infectious disease or are the infectious disease nurse for the hospital. But antibiotics do not have to be that complicated. In fact, I'm a big fan of using what you have. I usually have fingers attached to my hand, and accordingly, I have a four-finger model for how I approach antibiotics. So today that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to go into a couple of disease processes and talk about how each one of the antibiotics is uh, can be tailored to those diseases and in keeping with the IDSA guidelines and uh, trying to make sure that we are giving our patients the best care. So if you've ever wondered, antibiotics is a big old jumbled mess, period. It just is. And the reason is the mechanisms for these antibiotics are, are highly variable, and they work in very different ways. Um, some are beta-lactam, some are fluoroquinolones, some affect a gyrase, some affect um, cell walls, some allow pores to form in the cell wall and allow water in. I mean, it's just a bunch of different stuff that these antibiotics do. And accordingly, they tend to be a bit of an enigma, and you tend to not learn them in any depth other than what your preceptor or what your attending physician tends to do. So what I'd like to do is just break it down real simple. We're going to just use four fingers because most of us have those and uh, talk about antibiotics. And we're going to talk about them not in terms of the classes and the different types and how they work. We're going to talk about them real simple by their color, right? And if they don't have a color that we can see very much, we're going to lump them into big categories so we can kind of group them all together in sort of similar bugs. So for the purpose of this talk, we have to understand that there are only four types of uh, bacteria that exist. Now, that being said, that's not true. Okay, There are other bacteria, and we do have to have a, a lens for that. But for the sake of the vast majority of things we will encounter in our hospital and clinic setting, there are only going to be four bacteria. For the sake of this talk and simplicity, there are no viruses in the world and there are no fungal infections in the world. We're going to keep it real simple, focus on bacterial infections in our patients. So if you have your left hand and it still has fingers attached, uh, you can keep your thumb, do whatever you want with it, but we're going to use our index finger, middle finger, ring finger, and pinky finger to help us and guide us on the antibiotics. So um, I like to uh, just put it in front of my hand like I'm reading a card held in my hand, kind of put my thumb down, and I look and I point to my index finger, and I say, gram positives. I point to my middle finger saying, gram negatives. I look at my ring finger and say, and say anaerobes, and I look at my pinky finger and say, atypicals. Okay, These are the broad classifications of bacteria, and they all sort of in the group behave and respond in similar fashion. So as you can tell, the gram positives, your index finger, and the gram negatives, your middle finger, those are the vast majority of the ones we tend to treat in the hospital. But there are those other two categories, the ring finger, anaerobes, the pinky finger, atypical infections, ones that will still show up commonly, still are ones we need to be aware of. So, gram positives, what does that mean? Well, that is a response to the gram stain, okay? So, gram stain is a coloration that we use in the lab. We drop some juice onto the slide and bacteria that have a... Um, a substance in their cell wall, this gram stain will adhere to it. Now that substance is called peptidoglycan. For the sake of 
life and everyday happiness. You don't need to know that. You just need to know there's something thick and gooey, and this gram stain is going to stick to it and stain it this sort of deep, dark, purpley color. Um, Alternatively, your middle finger, the gram negatives, do not have a thick layer of this. And accordingly, that gram stain does not stick to it very well. And so you get a difference in coloration right off the bat with a very simple stain technique and a very simple way with the light microscope. You can tell whether or not there is a difference in the bacteria right off the bat. So it doesn't take long in the lab. We can get these back very quickly. In fact, we'll see this on blood cultures and uh, cases of bacteremia. And we can differentiate very quickly. Well, why does that matter? Well, that coating plays a huge role in the type of um, antibiotics that work for these bacteria. Gram positives as a whole are lumped into a category. Gram negatives as a whole are lumped into a separate category, and we treat them differently. Now, the good thing is antibiotics can treat across categories. So some antibiotics work in certain ways, and they're able to cross categories. Um, Leverquin is a good example, or levofloxacin. It can cross uh, cover gram positives and gram negatives because it, I believe, affects the DNA gyrase uh, because it is a um, levofloxacin, uh, which is a, a fluoroquinolone. So, blah, 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 sciencey terms. The big point here is that there is a stain that we can use to differentiate bacteria, and it happens to be the ones that live on our first uh, index finger and our middle finger. So, uh, gram positive, gram negatives, that is how we differentiate those. Now, the next one, the pinky finger, is going to be anaerobes. Anaerobes is a broad classification, usually of things that live in the mouth or the gut, um, that really require anaerobic metabolism. They require an environment devoid of oxygen. So in the setting of uh, somebody sick, we need to make sure that our antibiotics can cover these if we're thinking there's an intra-abdominal infection or maybe a mouth abscess or neck abscess where there has been exposure to anaerobic bugs. Now, we have to grow these in special cultures. Most of the time, your blood cultures will be a aerobic culture and an anaerobic culture with the media inside the little wine bottle looking thing of the anaerobic, something that will help um, neutralize oxygen. So that is uh, what you will see when you see the two bottles drawn there in the hospital. So then we have our last category of bacteria, the atypical infections. And this can be something like Legionella, Mycoplasma, uh, pneumonia, um, and then uh, chlamydia pneumoniae. These are infections that don't fit the typical mold of bacteria, and they don't act like typical bacteria. Now, what is good is that these all still join together in a category of bugs that react to a certain antibiotics in the same way. So as you can see, individual antibiotics may cross or enter different categories. So that's why it's most helpful to view the bugs first and then worry about the antibiotics to cover second. So let's walk through this a little bit deeper with some infections we typically see here in the hospital. So um, let's take the prototypical urinary tract infection. The vast majority of these will be an E. coli or a proteus or Klebsiella of some sort. Um, in general, E. coli is going to be the far winner here. Now, E. coli is a gram-negative, right? It's going to stain that light pink color, not going to have that thick peptidoglycan layer. And as a result, things that target gram-positive um, uh, bacteria will not work for it if that's all they treat. So, good examples of vancomycin. You may say, oh, patient coming in the emergency department and they have a urine infection. They need a big gun antibiotic. Let's do some vancomycin. Well, you have to know that vancomycin only treats gram-positives. That's the only place it's effective. 
Um, and so it will not work for E. coli, and they will just continue to get sicker. So, in general, UTIs are treated with one of two or three drugs. Number one, we can use ceftriaxone. So, in the spectrum of penicillins, or what we broadly call the beta-lactams, these are sort of how they uh, utilize, or uh, sort of the mechanism of their um, efficacy, the beta-lactams sort of start at penicillin, go all the way over to cefpoxidine, I think is the most recent one I've heard of, uh, fifth-generation cephalosporin. And as you go progressively through this category um, of um, bacteria, penicillin is sort of the early precursor, and then cefazolin, um, first-generation, and on into the second and third-generation. Ceftriaxone is a third-generation cephalosporin. So... You really need to see a chart to know all this, but just suffice to say, we have some typical concoctions we use for bacteria in the urine and for urinary tract infections. And what, number one is usually ceftriaxone. Um, and that is a pretty good drug, treats most of the community-acquired uh, infections of the urine. The next one is often a floxacin. So that's going to be ciprofloxacin or levofloxacin, again, uh, agents that are well targeted towards gram negatives. Remember, our middle finger, that is what we're targeting in the urine infections. Now, that being said, there are some gram positives that can grow in the urine, specifically Staph epidermidis, uh, which is going to be the one that can actually travel up the catheter and cause urinary tract infections that way. Now, Staph epi is allowed to do this by some of the sugars it produces. It um, is often found in people with chronic catheters that are um, you know, used for like BPH or neurogenic bladder or something of that sort. The thing is about Staph epi is it can actually form a biofilm. It can form a schmutz layer that will be on the catheter. And as it that catheter slides in and out, as all catheters do, as patient moves, it can actually then infect the urine and cause infection. So there are some gram positives that can affect it. And there's also MRSA or just plain old Staph aureus that can also cause infections. That tends to be the more serious one because staph in the urine is never, ever normal. It needs to be found out as to where it came from. So, broadly speaking, urinary tract infections typically are going to be that middle finger on our four-finger model of antibiotics. They're typically going to be uh, available to be treated with ceftriaxone or cipro or levofloxacin, one of those concoctions. Um, and that's sort of the typical patient you guys will see coming into the hospital. Now, uh, the next one we talk about is pneumonia. And pneumonia is a bit different because it usually we have to do two things at once. We have to treat the most common cause of pneumonia. It's going to be strep pneumoniae. And we also have to uh, treat the broad category of things that live um, atypically. So that's going to be our atypical category or our pinky on our four-finger model of antibiotics. So staph. Um, or excuse me, strep uh, pneumonia is going to be a gram positive, and we also have the atypicals to deal with. So oftentimes you will see a concoction, something like this, what we call monotherapy, or mono meaning one therapy, one therapy with levofloxacin, or we call the fluoroquinolones or the respiratory quinolones, the ones that actually can target uh, things in the pulmonary tract, uh, or we'll do a combination of ceftriaxone and azithromycin. And the reason is ceftriaxone is a phenomenal drug for strep pneumoniae, but it does not touch atypicals. In fact, only a short category or short bunch of drugs will target atypicals. So oftentimes, if it's pneumonia, you have to pair it with something that can target atypicals. That's usually going to be something like azithromycin, levofloxacin, 
uh, doxycycline. These are sort of the typical combinations we'll use. So just keep it in your mind. Pneumonia, broad category, big picture. Gram positives, number one, the strep pneumonia. That's the big bug that causes. But then also you have atypical infections that can exist too. And that's the ones we need to treat with the additional antibiotic. Or if you just want to do monotherapy, you can do it with Levaquin, uh, which is a monotherapy respiratory quinolone. So again, sticking with our four-finger model. Pink, or, uh, index finger is going to be the strep pneumoniae that lives uh, and can cause the pneumonias. And then your pinky finger, your um, atypicals. So when I sit down and I start reviewing a infected patient and I want to find out, okay, so we have a pyelonephritis, we have a kidney infection. What are the typical bu bugs? Well, number one is going to be the gram negatives. I want to make sure that I'm covering with broad spectrum gram negative coverage. If it's pneumonia, I want to make sure I'm covering strep pneumo and, and these atypical infections. A second subclass of pneumonia you also have to think about as being aspiration. Aspiration is going to be mouth spit and gut or juice and stuff that goes down to the airway. That typically needs some uh, anaerobic coverage as well. So remember, anaerobes, they live in our belly. That's where they hang out, they live in our mouth and GI tract. And so if you have an infection that attacks uh, or is an, uh, caused by an aspirate material or something taken into the airway inappropriately, then that is going to be uh, an additional bug you need to cover with. And that's something like clindamycin or flagyl. Those can all be utilized, and oftentimes clindamycin will be the go-to drug. There are other drugs like zosin, uh, uh, tazobactam, which you probably see quite a bit in the hospital. What's nice about that drug is it hits everything except for two spots. It hits most of the gram positives except for MRSA. It hits just about every gram negative. It hits just about every anaerobic organism, but it does not touch atypicals. So it is not the drug of choice for pneumonia because you'll miss all those atypicals unless you pair it with something else like azithromycin or Levaquin. Also, it also misses MRSA. So and you have some holes in coverage. Even though it's a great big gun antibiotic, we use it all the time, but it's just like the carbapenems, it will not target those two areas, and we have to add additional coverage. So that's urinary tract infection, mainly gram negatives, mainly that middle finger, pneumonia, mainly gram positives, and atypicals, got to cover those categories. If it's aspiration pneumonia, we got to cover for our ring finger being um, uh, anaerobic bacteria also. So Last category we'll go into, and if this, guys, if this is helpful, we can certainly branch out into things like osteomyelitis, blood infections, CNS infections, and go on from there. But last one we'll talk about soft tissue infections. So this is going to be cellulitis and abscesses for the most part. So um, you do have some minor strep and staph infections that can cause sort of superficial uh, infections, but we won't go into that. We'll stick with mainly the in-hospital infections. Um, cellulitis is typically going to be Staph aureus or strep um, pyogenes. So these two tend to be the main bugs that cause these problems. Now in diabetics, you have to understand any wound in a diabetic may be from any organism. And oftentimes you may have to cover a bit more broadly depending on the severity and if you suspect any underlying bone involvement. Especially if they got that, that hardened, channeled wound on their foot and you push it and they can't feel it at all. Yeah, you need to expand coverage to include... Um, you know, additional organisms there. But for the most part, soft tissue is going to be staph and strep. And for the most part, that can be treated pretty well with either oral medications, depending on the severity, or 
IV medications. So if a patient comes in, they've got a cellulitis to the leg, let's say they got a scratch or hit a twig uh, when they're hiking or whatever, and they have an infection of their soft tissue, it does not feel like it's down into the muscle or bone, we can just stick with something like vancomycin or something that targets the gram positives. Um, you know, ANCEF is another one that targets pretty well. Now, you have to understand that unless it's vancomycin, daptomycin, linazolid, Bactrim, those medications you will miss, uh, and uh, clindamycin as well, you will miss uh, MRSA. So you kind of know MRSA because MRSA has coagulase in it, and coagulase makes it sticky. It can stick to stuff and form abscesses in the heart, kidneys, just about anywhere. So... Um, if you have a person that you feel like there's a little fluid pocket underneath their cellulitis in the infected spot, you need to suspect MRSA. Super common these days. I bet you if you screened every healthcare worker, we'd all be positive for it. Um, and that is best treated with something like vancomycin, daptomycin, linazolid, um, clindamycin, Bactrim, somewhere in there that has some degree of MRSA coverage. And again, when we as physicians take a look at antibiotics, we look at it in terms of the severity of the patient, whether there's signs of end organ damage, encroaching sepsis, and we tailor antibiotics to then address it that way. But uh, we want to make sure that we are covering for the bugs that could be active. So again, Big picture, big step back. A lot of terms, especially if you're not familiar with antibiotics, tossing around things, linazolid, daptomycin, all these things that you haven't necessarily heard before, be a little confusing. But the big broad picture, four broad categories. Gram positives are like your pointer finger. Uh, gram negatives are like your index finger. Anaerobes are like your ring finger. And atypicals are your pinky. Like I said, I just hold my hand out in front of me and just start going down my fingers so that I can identify what antibiotics may be helpful. So... That is how I approach antibiotics as a big category, as big broad. Um, there's a lot of different ones. And as you go through, I carry a, a Stanford guide that has a nice chart in there that uh, allows you to see which antibiotic will cover which bug. Now, in each individual hospital, there will be what's called a biogram. And a biogram is the thing that tells you what percentage of the test that came back positive for uh, let's say a blood test for strep pneumo, was that strep pneumo susceptible to all the typical antibiotics we use? And so you'll begin to develop a percentile of, let's say, uh, my strep pneumo in my hospital can only be um, treated, it's only 70% uh, sensitive to uh, the typical um, Leviquin. So I may want to opt, that would mean I miss 30% of the cases. If I have a strep pneumo case, I may opt for ceftriaxone instead if it has like a 90% uh, sensitivity rate. So anyway, that's the big broad picture on antibiotics. And again, it is a tough category to chew through, but I think the four-finger model is pretty helpful. In fact, if you go to the Stanford guides, they're going to have the bacteria broken down on these charts. My old one from, I think, 2009 uh, has it broken down into gram-positives, gram-negatives, anaerobes, and atypicals. And that is how, at least I, approach antibiotic therapy for my patients. So if this is helpful at all, or if you'd like us to go into a bit more depth, feel free. Email us, Curtis, C-U-R-T-I-S, at teachinggrounds.com, or just go to teachinggrounds.com, and there's a link there where you can ask questions. And we would love to put something together for you guys to help you guys learn this material better, because the better you guys are, the better our patients will be taken care of. So um, again, we just want to encourage you, as you guys go through your schooling, 
We are here to help. Uh, we are so proud of our nurses. You guys do an amazing job every day. We just want to deliver amazing content to see you guys grow uh, every day. So with that, uh, we'll see you next time on Teaching Grounds.